I love Psalm 1 because it gives us great insight into the path that the righteous take and choosing the right path. If you're taking notes, I'd like you to write these down. Choosing the right path in life requires three things. Number one, a separated life from the world. A life separated from the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We, as God's people, are called out to separate ourselves from the things that this world has to offer. And and that means that we don't go into the world to look like the world or to blend into the world. We go into the world to be a light in the midst of darkness. The, The Bible says that we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and no amount of darkness can put out any light that shines through our life. And so God calls us from that when he delivered our lives and saved us, he called us to separate ourselves from the world because we don't have anything in common with the people of the world anymore. We are not called to live as close to the world as we can and call ourselves a Christian. We are called to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord of hosts. A separated life from the world. I want you to notice the psalmist, his belief is different than the world. You're going to have to have a different mindset as a Christian than the people of the world. Listen to this. The New Living Translation in verse 1 says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. He doesn't listen to their counsel and invitations to evil. His hearing is tuned a little higher. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4, 23, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. New King James Version says it this way, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Luke 6, 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our mindset and our belief system is different from the world. The things we used to believe when God transformed my life changed me imputed righteousness into my life, he gave me a new way to think. The old way of thinking is gone. I don't think like I used to think. Thank God. I'm different. So my belief system has to change. When God transformed my life and I separate myself from the world, I no longer think the way the world thinks. The world thinks some rough stuff. Come on. And the problem is, is the world system believes have filtered into the church, and the church has accepted them as norm, trying to placate to a world, trying to be politically correct in a world that desperately needs the truth. So we need churches that will stand up and preach the truth. So, So our belief system is different. His behavior is different than the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says it this way, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means the behavior, that old guy, Ted Pagel Jr., was crucified. I no longer live, but Christ now lives within me. So that old nature, that old person that used to live, that used to do things, say things, be things, I'm no longer him. 
I have been born again. I'm living in the Spirit. I am no longer living by the flesh. And so the places I used to go, I don't go. The things I used to say, I don't say. The people I used to hang around, I don't hang around anymore because there's a new man in town. That old guy's gone. Now listen to me. That old man likes to raise his ugly head sometimes. Oh, you've dealt with him too, huh? We all have to fight the flesh, even Paul who gives me great encouragement, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament dealing with holiness, said the things I don't do, the things I shouldn't do, I end up doing, and the things I should do, I don't do. Who'll deliver me from this body of death? He said this flesh is an ugly thing. I've got to beat it into submission. There are times even the old nature, the old man wants to come up, and I just have to say, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You no longer rule. I always say when I get saved, I think you become 51% spirit, 49% flesh. The flesh doesn't roll over and say, okay, I surrender. But we mature. Sanctification is a process. It begins at the moment of salvation, but it progressively works from that point on, maturing me, making me more like Christ. Never perfect until I get called home. But that's no excuse not to keep growing just because you're saved. We should be like, become more like Jesus every single day of our life. It's the process of sanctification. Instantaneous, but yet progressive. So when I gave my life to Christ, the sanctifying process is beginning the work in me. And now where I am today, compared to 35 years ago, Man, what used to be a dumbbell that I had to just kind of tote around, like, you're going to follow me, has now become not a 25-pound dumbbell, it's more like a 5-pound. Still there, still wants to try to wreak havoc in my life, but I don't allow it. Because I don't live by the flesh, I live by the Spirit. And listen to 2 Corinthians, Paul said, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 17, come out from among them. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Now I want you to notice the progression of what the psalmist begins in verse 1. And he he talks about, he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. I want you to know, since we've been called out with a different mindset and a different behavior, when we come out from the world, I want you to know, if you try to fool around with the world, this is what happens to people. It's very dangerous. You'll begin to walk with a group of people, and if you walk with them long enough, you'll wake up one day and you'll be standing for the things they stand for. And before long, you'll find yourself sitting in the midst of them, believing the same things they believe. It's a progressional thing. It's the same thing that happened to Abraham when he went down to Egypt. The same thing that happened to to Lot when he went down to Sodom. It's the same, same thing that happened to Peter when he warmed himself at the enemy's campfire. It's a downward progression. The Bible says we are to come out. We gotta separate ourselves from the world. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. That does not mean that we don't go out and win the lost. It doesn't mean that we don't love those people. It just means that we don't allow them to influence us. We influence them. 
And the problem with the church today is, is that the church is influencing the world instead of the church, uh, the world's influencing the church instead of the church influencing the world. And so we've watered things down. We don't preach truth anymore. We don't, we don't, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But I promised the Lord a long time ago that I was going to preach the truth because I love people. And I'm going to preach you truth today because I love you. I tell our congregation all the time, I'm going to say things that you're probably not going to like, going to step on your toes, knock a little bark off, but it's because I love you. And because I fear God more than I do you. I love him. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. So we got we to gotta tell the truth. The successful Christian realized there's a vast difference between himself and the world that he was saved out of and he lives accordingly. So the first thing choosing the right path is to recognize that you are separated from the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Number two, and I love this. We're going to spend a little bit more time on point number two. It's a life saturated in the word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Every successful Christian I know has a love for the word of God. They love this. This is not some decoration on the table. It's not something to set on a bookshelf. This, ladies and gentlemen, is something that we need to be, need to read every single day of our lives. It needs to be a part of our daily life. It's something that we have to feed ourselves with. And you know, I, I've been reading this going through the Bible a year for I can't tell you how many times. And I learned something, something sticks out to me every single year. It's something I've read over and over and over again. I'm like, wow, it's profound. And I get so excited reading the Word. It just does something in me and to me and through me that causes me to get excited about being a witness for Jesus. And so I get up every Sunday that I get the opportunity to preach. And I preach with passion because I'm in love with Jesus. And I'm in love with His people. And I want to see life's change. The word has captured the psalmist's full affection. He delights in it. That means he's found pleasure in it. He loves it. He lives it. And finding in his pages all that he needs to grow and prosper in life. And I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, you can't ever read this enough. You can't pick it up too much. And, and it will grow on you. It, it, it will... It will be something that will cause the Holy Spirit shows up. I love that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He is the living Word. So every time I read this Word, Jesus is on the scene through the power of His Holy Spirit, and He's speaking, and He brings conviction to our heart. Pastor hasn't arrived. Pastor Ted hasn't arrived. God's still working on me. And as I read that, I'm like, ooh. I have a responsibility just like you do. What are you going to do with it? You've you got to either respond in obedience or be disobedient. Listen to me. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings a curse. Do you want to walk around with a curse on your life or do you want to walk around in blessing? I want to walk around in blessing. So I want the Word to do what it needs to do. That means no matter who you bring in to preach the Word of God, and I'm going to preach everything I have here, it doesn't matter if you're not obedient to what God says. And at the end today, we're going to give an invitation, give you an opportunity to respond about whatever 
God's doing in your life or what, need, what he needs to do in your life and give you an opportunity to come to an altar and maybe you're here for the first time and you're going to give your life to Christ. Maybe it's to get rededicate your life, whatever. We're going to open up an opportunity for you to respond. But I can preach my heart out all day long, but if you don't respond to the way the Lord works, because this is what I do know, God said my, my word will never return void. So I'm depositing it. And then I learned a long time ago that I'm just in sales. He's in management. I remember when I first started preaching and, and, and I give an invitation. If nobody responded, I go home dejected, feel like a failure and everything. Feel like, man, I must not have preached good enough and didn't do what I was supposed to do. And the Lord reminded me, said, son, son, you did everything I told you to do. You, you delivered the word. You are not responsible for the people's response. That's me. I'm in management. And even me, I can knock on their hearts, but he's a gentleman. He won't make you. He's not going to force his will upon you. Aren't you thankful for that? We get the freedom too. There's so much, so much better when you get to make that decision on your own. Like God didn't drag me to an altar. I went on my own. I got excited, you know. God spoke to me and I responded. And so I promised the Lord every time he shined some, some light in my, in, my, in my life that I needed something that needed correction or work on, I would say yes. I would say yes. And I believe that I'm walking the blessed life today and living the blessed life and God is blessing our church and prospering everything that we're doing is because I'm saying yes to when he tells me something I need to do. And, and preachers don't get it all together. Come on. We're all messed up, broken, and jacked up somewhere. I tell our people all the time, I say, listen, tell them, you got a pastor that's jacked up and messed up just like everybody else. God's still working on me. I said, just get them in the house and let me and the Lord work on them. Can I tell you? Holy Spirit, thank you. Don't try to fix people. We make a mess of it. The Holy Spirit's much better at fixing people than we are. Our responsibility is to love them and be Jesus to them and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Some of you are driving your children away and your family members away because you're beating them over the head with the gospel. Don't do that. Love them, pray for them, and say, God, get them. <laughs> Holy Spirit, do your job. I promise you, he'll do a much better job at working on that. Nine benefits of the Word of God. We'll move through these quickly. It's, first of all, it's food. Job 23, 12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Matthew 4, 4. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank God that there is food in the Word of God. It is milk for baby Christians. Look at 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. When you get saved and you're a newborn Christian, it's okay. You need milk. It's like a little baby in a bottle. You, you got to have milk. But after a period of time and you start growing, you got to trade in the milk for some meat. We have Christians who have been around the church for 20, 30, and 40 years that are still sucking on a bottle. 
And it's time to grow up. It's time to mature. It's time to move on to the next level God has for you. You know how silly it looks to walk around with a bottle? There's a time and a place for that. And every newborn believer, that's okay. We're to nurture them and help them and move them on because it becomes meat for growing Christians. Look, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There comes a time when you've got to move from the milk to the meat. And then there's this thing. We have a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge, who've gone from milk to meat. They've soaked it all in. But they're just fat cats with a lot of knowledge. And they're not applying it. God gives you all of that knowledge. Some of you have got tons of knowledge, but you're not applying it. God gave you that to use it for the kingdom of God. You've got to apply what you know. And, and you say, well, Pastor Ted, what, what do I do? I, I, whatever the Lord tells you to do. But get involved and get actively using what you know for the glory of God and for the building of his kingdom. We need everybody's help. Not only is it milk and meat, but it becomes bread for everyone. John 6, 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Aren't you thankful for the bread of heaven? Nothing has the power to encourage us as the word of God does. So not only is it food, number two, it's light. I love this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That means as I walk through life, as I'm in the Word of God, God's going to illuminate my path. I know where to walk. And this, since it's a pathway, and, and the righteous walk that pathway, I'll know when I get off that path. And then when I know how to get back on that path, it's because I step back in the light. I, that, that pathway is, is lit to guide and direct me. So as long as I'm in the Word, as long as I'm listening to God, I'm just following where He tells me to go. Where, wherever you want me to go, Lord, just He's illuminating the path. It's not like God saying, well, why don't you guess where I want you to go today? God has a perfect will for our lives. He doesn't hold out. He's not like, oh, well, I'm going to play cat and mouse with you, hold a dangle a carrot in front of you, get you to try and figure it out. No, God knows the plans He has for you declares the Lord. Plans that are good, not evil. Plans to give you hope and a future. God's got a purpose and a plan for everyone in this room, and he's not holding out. He's got a perfect will for your life. Now listen to me. He also, there is a permissive will where God will permit you to do what you want to do. It may not be his perfect will, but it's his permissive. Some of y'all need to move from your, his permissive will for your life to his perfect will. And I know some of that, like, oh, that scares me, Pastor, because I know what I get to give up to do that. But you know what the blessings you are forfeiting by not walking in the perfect will of God? When my wife and I left Idaho, it'll be 13 years in January. I can't believe we're going to be 13 years old as a church. We left Idaho, and the Lord said, you're going to go to Ocean Springs and plant a church. I had, I'm like, 
Lord, all I need to know is, is, is this you. And when I knew it was him, then I just, everyone's telling me I'm crazy. Like, you're, you're leaving here, you've got the, your dream house, you've got everything you've ever wanted and all that. I said, yeah, but that's not the Lord's will. God is telling me that I'm to pack up everything I have, take my life savings, go to Ocean Springs and plant a church. And everyone was saying, you, you've lost your ever-living mind. There were people there that wanted us to plant a church, and I had like 65 people there that wanted me to plant a church, and we started with 20 in Ocean Springs. I was already there and everything. Seemed like the right thing to do. My sister-in-law got mad at me. Are we not good enough? And I said, Rhonda, Rhonda, no, no, no. Has nothing to do with that. Would it be a good thing to plant a church here? Absolutely. Would it be good to win people to Jesus? Absolutely. But it's not God's will for my life. His perfect will was to go to Ocean Springs, plant a church where there would be broken, hurting, wounded people that would need care. And today, hundreds, thousands of people have walked through our doors that have received care that were broken through church hurt, relational hurt, that we were able, that God said, I'm trusting you with them, Ted and Centerpoint Church to bring healing in their life. And if it was just for one of those families, it was worth it all. But there have been hundreds of families that God has restored that were broken and messed up and jacked up that came to Centerpoint Church because we said yes. That's the perfect will of God. And I want to walk in those blessings. And so when he gave me the light, I just followed the path. My wife did say, and she reminds me quite often, like there was claw marks all the way from Idaho to Mississippi. Hmm. So I, I just followed the path. We need to follow the path of God. He's the light, amen? Number three, the, the word of God is truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Ladies and gentlemen, from pulpits across America, let me just remind us that we don't need to water the gospel down. Men and women stand behind this sacred place, have watered the gospel. We are not preaching the truth that needs to be truth. We are, we are placating the people. We are saying whatever we need to say to not upset anybody, to get them. And churches are, are packed out with people that are sitting in a chair without repentance, without anybody telling them what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live a holy life. Apart from holiness, no man shall see the Lord, the Bible says. And so there is a lifestyle that we must take on, not by our own strength, but by the righteousness that's imputed into our life. But holy living is not vogue, folks. It's not gone out. God still specializes in holy living. And so we're called to do that, but we need men and women that will stand behind this desk and preach the truth of God's Word. And I love you enough to tell you the truth this morning, that if you're lost, there's only one way to, to God the Father. That's through Jesus the Son. It's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's not anyone else. There's only one name by which man might be saved, and that's Jesus. And we need people. We don't talk about repentance anymore. Repentance is one of those words, well, we don't want to, that's offensive to people. Well, the gospel's meant to be offensive. I'm sorry. Repentance means I'm sorry, but I'm sorry enough to quit going in this direction. The Greek word is metanoia. It means a change of mind and a change of direction. It means I'm, 
going in this direction. The only way we're going to change the world out there is to have a church that's changed on the inside, that's empowered to go outside of there. We have a lot of weak, feeble people inside the church that's not strong enough to go outside these four walls and make a difference. It's because men and women aren't preaching the truth. And we need that. It's truth. Listen, it's the truth that sets us free. I'm free today because I believe the truth of who he was. And if we want people to really be free, I'm not talking about checking a box to come to church. I'm not checking the list to go out. I'm not interested in doing church as normal or as usual. I'm not interested to say, well, I went to church today. We live in the Bible Belt, and there are a lot of people that just check it off their list. You go to Centerpoint Church, you're going to get the Word. You're going to get it. You come here, you're going to get the Word. We're going to preach the Word of God and allow God to do His work. It's also a mirror. James 1, 23 and 25 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. He's saying this person just kind of looks in the mirror and then they walk away forgetting who they were. We live in a... In an age where we're a selfie generation, we, we like taking selfies. Come on. And, and the problem with selfies is this they're really not the real you because we have so many filters. And, and I'm afraid sometimes we get so caught up into this selfie generation that we are forgetting who we really are. Because we've kind of painted up, dressed it up, and made us into something that we're really not. And I think the same thing happens spiritually in our life. We think we're really good, and God's saying, no, we're really not. Because we convinced ourselves. And the only way we're going to change is to really be a, not only a hearer, but a doer of the word. Like, God, I hear you, and I'm going to do it. Lord, you convicted me, I'm going to do it. Lord, you're stirring me, I'm going to go. God, you're doing this, I'm going to do that. It's the Spirit of God working in our hearts and our lives. It's also water. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I'm thankful for the washing of the word. I'm not going to spend time on that. The next thing the word is, is that the word does, it cleanses. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Anybody thankful that your, your life can be cleansed by the word of God? 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Not from some of the unrighteousness, but of all unrighteousness. I don't know if that excites you the way me. That means it gives me right standing before God. My holiness is my position in Him. So now because of that transforming power of Jesus, I have my positional holiness in Him. I have right standing with Him because I've been cleansed. And now I can stand before the Father and the Son and say, that's my boy. 
His name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. And he's constantly, and I love this, he doesn't, there's not just a one-time cleansing. It's a continual thing. As God shines, the, the Holy Spirit does this. I, I call it the searchlight of God, the, kind of the, the flashlight. Oakley's like, oh, oh right there. Right there, Todd. And, and God points out and illuminates places in our life, and we have a responsibility to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to clean that up. I'm giving it to you. You're the one that's going to clean it, but I got to give it to you. And so I'm going to surrender that. So it cleanses. Next, it quenches. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The people of the world are going from well to well to well, trying to find something that would satisfy the longing in their heart. What you and I have, ladies and gentlemen, is a gift that God gave to us. This insatiable desire in us trying to find something to quench it. The world says, well, over here, come over here. This is where you need to drink, and you'll be satisfied. And so what we do is we go over to this well, and we drink for a little while. I'm like, yeah, this feels good, man. I'm partying. It's wild. It's awesome. And then pretty soon, it's like, ah, it's just not doing it anymore. And then the world says, that's because we got something else over here now. It's the latest, greatest thing. And if you'll come do this, then you'll get satisfied. And you go over there, and it's, oh, yeah, it's wonderful. And then all of a sudden, it's not satisfying anymore. And we go from well to well to well to well. Never being satisfied. Because those wells were never meant to satisfy you. It's the living well. And when you get the living well in you, it changes your life. It it makes you crazy, passionate about him. And you say, well, pastor, I'm just not one of those people that get real excited about Jesus. And I know it worked in your life and he's real exciting in you. And I appreciate that's great, but I'm just not one of those people. That would be okay if I didn't see some of those people at the ball game. I hear it. Well, Pastor, that's just not my personality. Well, if it's not, then why at the ball game over a touchdown do I see you jumping up and down? And when you don't like what the ref calls, you get all excited about that. But you can't give any energy to the one who died for you on Calvary and shed his blood for your life, died and was resurrected. I think it's time for us to get excited about Jesus. Now listen, I am vehemently opposed to worked up excitement. And I don't think anyone should violate you and tell you, I've been in services where you need to get on your feet, you need to do this, and you need to, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm vehemently opposed to that. I think it should happen as the Spirit moves in you. I don't want a bunch of hyper people just jumping up and down for no reason. I want you to know why. We have a lot of churches that are spirit-filled, but they're not word-filled. They, they have the spirit, but they don't know why they're doing all that. We need to be balanced with word and spirit. So we get both of it. So why I'm going crazy and fanatic for Jesus, I know why. Because I'm centered on the word, and I read the word, and I get excited about it. Because it changes life. It, it, it quenches. 
our life. It refreshes. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. He leads us. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There is nothing like being in the presence of the Lord. Here's what I want you to know this morning. The Lord is here through the power of His Spirit. And He's snuggled up next to you. He's been, he's been talking to you back here and back there and here. He, he's all over this place. And he's, he's, he's already been talking. Some of you, he's already said, you need to make that right. You, you've, got to, you've got to take care of that today. Don't leave this place today without taking care of that. And then he, he's going to leave you alone. You've got to make that decision from there. But he's here. He's, he's everywhere in this place. There is a, Jesus is omniscient, all-knowing, and he's omnipresent, meaning that he's everywhere. But ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, what I'm going for is not just the omnipresence of God. I'm going for the manifestation of God. There's a manifestation of presence where God's people gather with an expectation that ushers in the presence and the power of God that changes lives. It refreshes. It's seed, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. We are responsible to sow seed. Sow the Word. The Word doesn't return void. It's a sword, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and the joints of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That means God knows exactly what you're thinking. That's awesome and not so awesome sometimes <laughs> come on like he knows like been around people like oh, I was gonna say it but I don't want I don't I don't need to say that it's like well God already knows what you've been thinking and sometimes the Holy Spirit puts a check on your mouth because you need to be quiet because it's not fruitful if it's not edifying if it's not building something up and it's going to tear down then you don't need to say it but God knows everything that we think some of you are thinking, like, when is he ever going to shut up so we can go home? No, I don't, I don't believe that. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Come on. God's speaking this morning. E- Ephesians six seventeen, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's also number eight, a hammer. I'm going to hurry through here. It's not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. The Word of God has the, the power to build up and it has the power to tear down. Listen to Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. And then, Revelation, listen to what Jesus says. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He is the Word. Now out of the, his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he would strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. In Revelation 19, 21, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And then number nine, it's a, it's a fire. Jeremiah 29 says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Jeremiah was tired 
known as the weeping prophet, tired of giving bad messages to people. Like, I don't got a good word. Lord, could you give me some positive to share with people? There's always, always something wrong. And Jeremiah says, man, the moment I wanted to quit throwing the towel, hang it up, he said, the word inside of me was shut up like a fire inside of me. He said, I, I don't care if it's good news, not good news. I've got to share it because it's burning inside of me. I'm thankful for the fire of God. Luke 24, 32, and they said to one another on the road to Emmaus, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? The successful Christian is in love with the Bible. He knows that in its pages he can find all that his soul requires. I'm going to ask you this morning, do you love the Bible like you should? The psalmist that captured his full attention not only does he love the book, but he lives the book in his daily life. Every thought, every move, every decision of a successful Christian flows out from a relationship with God's Word. And the psalmist declares that the successful Christian spends his days and nights in pursuit of the Word of God. Three things, and I'm going to quit. The last point I would give to you today is not only a life separated from the world and saturated by the Word of God, but thirdly, to choose the right path and to live a successful Christian life, you need a life surrendered to God. The promises of this verse are conditional. When we live separated lives and feed our souls on the Word of God, then we can expect things to happen for us. Three things that bless the psalmist's life. So let me give you these three things and then we're going to close. He was planted in the right place. He was planted by the river, always close to the life-giving resources. The tree planted by the river is never dry and wilted, but it's green, lush, and lovely. The Christian who lives close to God will never be dry and wilted either. He'll be vibrant, lively, and productive in his life. And what I've discovered is the droughts of life and dry seasons never seem to affect the Christian who's planted near the water and by the river. The Bible says it's important for us to know where we're planted. I think you being at Oaks Church is a great place to be planted. We love this. This is a good place. This is a good place. It's important to be planted in the house of God because those who are planted in the house of God will flourish in the courts of God. We are called to be planted in a good place. He's planted by the river. And because he's planted at the right place, number two, he was productive. The Bible says he brings forth fruit. And every successful believer is a blessing to all those around him because he's fruitful. You and I are called to bear fruit. You can't do that in and of yourself, but you can do it by being planted in the right place and allowing God to work inside of you. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of your life flows fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit are you producing? I want the kind of fruit that produces things that are productive, helps people grow, that loves people, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long suffering. I want the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits, it's the fruit of the Spirit. 
and I want those things manifested in my life. So if you get planted in the right place and you are productive because you're planted in the right place, thirdly, it says he was prosperous in all things. God blesses the successful Christian. His personal life, his family life, his business life, his church life, his spiritual life will all be blessed of the Lord. The question begs this morning, what path are you on? How do you choose the right path? Separate yourself from the world. Saturate yourself in the Word of God and surrender your life to God. God's desire is for you to do that. You will not accidentally live a successful Christian life. You will not accidentally choose the right path in life. It will, because, it will be because you are intentional about doing that. Amen?